I'm Brett McGarry. This week on The Couch Potatoes, one of my favorite shows of the last decade is set to finally make its return. Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. A couple of potential Oscar nominees are out. We'll talk The Irishman and A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Plus... I learned this week one of Jeff's favorite movies is getting a remake, and he's not too happy about it. Sooner or later... Put here as a date when he's gonna go. You wanna be a part of this fight? Would you like to be a part of this history? Yes, I would. Whatever you need me to do, I'm available. Martin Scorsese's gangster movie, The Irishman. Robert De Niro stars as Frank Sheeran, a.k.a. The Irishman, in the epic gangster story that spans several decades. Joe Pesci plays Russ Buffalino, who becomes De Niro's mob boss, and Al Pacino as Teamsters Union President Jimmy Hoffa, under the thumb of the mob until he isn't, and we all know what happened to him. Or do we? The movie's on Netflix right now, and it's made headlines for a couple of reasons. For starters, it's three and a half hours long. Dad zooks! But you're at home, so you can pause it. You can even watch it over two nights if you want to, and I suspect a lot of people will do that this weekend. I watched it all in one blast. It took me four hours, as I had some chores to do, and my parents called at one point. Not ideal for the first watch of something so cinematic. What? you got to stop the movie and talk to your mom when she calls. for sure. (laughs) Uh, It's not ideal for the first watching of something that's very cinematic, but I mean, I think I actually did prefer it to sitting in the theater that long. The good news is it earns its three and a half hours. I'm sure there is a very solid two and a half hour movie in there somewhere, but I really didn't notice anything glaring enough to think, wow, they should have cut that out. Maybe on a rewatch I will notice something, but I enjoyed all of it the first time around, and it all felt like it was important to the story. You're going to re- you've already planned to rewatch it. Well, I'm definitely going to. It's just sitting there on my Netflix. Oh. I mean, why wouldn't you rewatch it? Three, because it's three and a half hours. <laughs> the rewatch may be in two nights. Yeah, okay. Something like that. I don't know. Um, the story, like many other gangster stories, is the rise of a nobody into a gangster and then the consequences. Now, I won't get into the consequences at all. I will say, though, that it's quite different than what I was expecting. Not the standard, you know, oh, the downfall of the guy that we've seen in all the other gangster movies. The rise of Frank, of course, involves the other headline that the movie made, which was the digital de-aging process of these old actors, making them look like young actors. And it works sort of. Actually, on Joe Pesci and Al Pacino, I thought it worked really well, but they're playing older guys to begin with. They're both supposed to be quite a bit older than the De Niro character. They really try to age De Niro down to, I want to say, late 40s or early 50s, and it is a little distracting for a couple of reasons. Number one, the process can take years off, but it does not make him look like how he actually looked when he was younger, and we know what that looks like because we saw him in all those movies in the 70s and the 80s. He appears younger, but not as the guy we remember, so it creates a bit of an Uncanny Valley kind of vibe. And number two, he still moves like an older man. Pacino struggled with that a bit too, I think. Pesci gives a pretty still performance, so it wasn't really noticeable, but De Niro still moves around like an old man even when he's playing the younger version. And I heard they actually had a movement coach come in to try to help all the actors out with this. It is undoubtedly better than it would have been without the person's help, but I found it still to be a distraction. Now, does it really matter? No, because it really only happens in the first hour or so of the movie for De Niro, and then his age range that he can realistically play catches up with the character and it's not a thing. There's also obviously 
some regular de-aging techniques with hair color and makeup at play. And a lot of actors also have to play characters that are older than they are in real life for certain parts of the movie. So it's like sort of like Lord of the Rings where they use a lot of different techniques at the different times or at the same time. So you don't really sort of figure it all out during the entire movie. They keep changing it up so you can't see the man behind the curtain. One thing I did find funny was that Bobby Cannavale, of course he's in it, plays a character older than De Niro. Cannavale gets to play basically his real age while it's young De Niro, but then when it's regular De Niro they got to make old Cannavale. Um, all the usual gangster guys who are still alive are in this movie. Uh, I kept pausing it to sort of was like, oh, who's that guy? What's he from? And What's his name? And to try and look him up on IMDb and there was over 400 characters listed on IMDb for this movie so you'll recognize faces a lot of them may be older than the last time you saw them uh, a couple other notable parts Ray Romano is in it and he plays a lawyer Anna Paquin has a small but a vital role in the movie as well so it's three and a half hours of gangster story there are episodes of killing guys and shady deals and crooked union stuff it's a complex story but it flows very well thanks to a terrific script by Hall of Famer Steve Zalian he's a four time Oscar nominee he won for Schindler's List Frank narrates the story and while I mentioned his rise I should say that he starts as like a truck driver and rises to a, a mid-level guy. He's mostly used as a hitman, and he's kind of dumb. So his narration has a lot of blank spots where he admits he doesn't really know what was going on, or it's like, I don't know what those guys are doing because they're higher up than me. And that's and there, there's mentions of higher-ups that we never even see, unless, uh, unless I wasn't beating properly paying attention. I made it glazed over a couple of times. Um, it's a really interesting character to focus the movie on and an interesting way to deliver information. And it helps us focus on what's really important, I think, and not bogging us down and what's not important. You can have too many details sometimes with these movies, but this, you just go with it. You trust that Scorsese will make it all make enough sense for you. And they do a fun thing I've not seen before where sometimes they'll name check a very minor character who just appears on screen briefly, and then they just freeze frame and some text appears because beside the guy that tells you how that person will eventually die. It's just like, uh, Johnny Bones died in 1980, shot three times oh, in yeah. his kitchen, That's stuff right. like yeah, that. I noticed that. There's a bunch of that all through. It's, 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 it's an interesting way to do it. I really like that. And I guess they're all poor, they're all real people. I kept forgetting that. I was like, oh, they made this up. And I was like, wait a minute, Jimmy Hoffa is so it must be a real movie. And, and I looked it up and it's based on a book. The book is called uh, I Heard You Paint Houses which they explain at the beginning of the movie. Um, it's all part, though, I think, of all, all this showing these guys dying. It's, it's part of driving home the point that being a gangster is a terrible thing to be. Scorsese used to take heat from a lot of corners about glamorizing mob life. And while Goodfellas is very stylish, and in that movie, watching De Niro smoke at the bar while he starts planning his assassinations is the coolest thing I've ever seen, <laughs> I can't imagine that watching it and thinking, I'd like to be one of those guys. In The Irishman, mob life is shown to be considerably bleaker. It's sad that Frank gets involved in this life. It gets sadder the older he gets, even as he becomes more successful. It's it's quite affecting. And then in the last big section, maybe last 45 minutes or so, they're simply amazing. There's terrific tension at times, and there's also just unexpected resolutions. It really is something great. The movie is not as frenetic as Goodfellas or Casino. Uh, it's much more measured, but I do think that this fits with those as Scorsese's real gangster trilogy. He's done other movies with gangsters like The Departed and Gangs in New York, but 
I'm, I would say Goodfellas Casino and now The Irishman are the epics that are all of a piece with each other. The lead performances are amazing. I was surprised by how still Pesci was because he's usually the hothead in these things. Pacino gets to play a bigger personality in Jimmy Hoffa, and it's an amazing turn. I could see him going home with an Oscar uh, in February because of this. Pacino loves to chew the scenery. Well, that's always entertaining, but he often goes too far with it in the movies. Not here, though. He, he strikes just the right tone for his character without taking over the movie. Um, it's the best performance by both Pacino and De Niro in a very long time. Pesci too, but it would have to be because he almost never acts anymore. And on this U.S. Thanksgiving weekend, I'm thankful that Alan Bob got to give these performances as late career highlights. I think there's an interesting discussion about both those guys' legacies. 20 years ago, there would be no question, but they both made so many stinkers in the 21st century that you could argue it has tainted their careers. Now, I mean, older actors don't always get to pick and choose from amazing projects, and I get that, but the Irishman proves they still really have it when it's called for four and a half couch cushions out of five for the irishman wow fun stuff good movie now have you thought at all about where this would rank in martin scorsese's films because i know you've always been a huge fan of yeah. his movie films i don't know it's hard to like today this morning having seen it 15 hours ago i would like to rank it pretty high but um that's probably a recency bias kicking in there i'd have to maybe wait and see i i do think I, it's not as good as goodfellas nothing is that's just the gold standard that's one of for my money the three best movies ever made i think so but i think it's up there it's it's what you want from a martin scorsese movie you think of him and you think of these good gangster movies and this is a good gangster movie what were the other two best movies of all time oh let's see fargo and unforgiven oh Oh, okay, yeah. All right. Yeah. I almost I mixed up Unforgiven with No Country for Old Men for some reason. I was like, two Coen brothers? Wait a second. Unforgiven is Clint Eastwood. Yeah, No Country's up in the... It's got to be in the top ten, though. All right, friendo. <laughs> I, I, you started watching this? I started watching this on Wednesday when it arrived, but the, the thing is, I got home, I think, at four o'clock in the afternoon and thought, if I get started on this soon, yeah. I might finish this tonight. Provided I put my phone in another room and lock it up, because if my phone is beside me, then I'm not getting, there's no way I'm getting through it. But then I fell asleep almost instantly on the couch, (laughs) like before I could even turn on the television, because I was just wrapping something up for work. I was answering an email or something, and I woke up with my phone in my hand. I'm lucky I didn't send an email like 50 times or something. Uh, So I thought, well, I'm not going to get through it tonight, so... I made myself a snack, and then I just turned it on with the intention of watching an hour. Yeah. Maybe I'll watch an hour tonight, and I'll watch an hour tomorrow, and maybe an hour and a half on the, or you know, in a yeah, couple yeah. of days later. But I only got through half an hour because, of course, my phone was beside me, and I was, <laughs> I don't know, checking Instagram every few minutes, and guess getting distracted. Plus, it it it's been a long time since I've watched a serious film like this, and it's pretty heavy in terms of it, how it goes back and forth back and forth in the timeline like you really have to pay attention yeah and cars i don't help. have a problem with that yeah yeah the cars were cool the different eras of cars one thing i i looked up while you were reading your review it looks like he was de-aged down to his mid-20s no that's that's apparently that's, that's what, what they thought to, it was supposed to. Yeah, the mission not accomplished. Yeah, <laughs> mid twenties to his eighties with the uh, aid of DA. This is from Vanity Fair, and yeah, I noticed that too. You talked about the movement coach. There's a scene where De Niro is laying the smackdown on this guy in the street, <laughs> and he's kicking him, and it doesn't look vicious at all no. because it just it looks like these little sort of SWAT kicks, like just these kind of flick kicks. Uh, with from a guy who who can't bend his knee, right? The, yeah, it's like cut it to a close up and put 
somebody else's legs in there. You know what I mean? Yeah, I sort of liked that they kept the wide shot the whole time. It was it made for a really dramatic scene. Yeah, but then it it was tagged by this kind of weak little kicks. So that was I I I like the the use of the de aging technology when it get when they get it right. I think they made his eyes also too too blue. Really? Yeah. I didn't notice that. Oh, they I was stuck just looking out at, to me like looking uh, at his smooth, balls. smooth cheeks, and was like, that's, "That's not real." And then, and then trying to picture old De Niro playing like on set, what it would have looked like. You know what I mean? And I don't know what it would have looked like, but it just cracked me up to think of an old man pretending to be a young man on the set. There's uh, there, but then would they have to? Would they have stuff all over his face for the computers later and that sort of thing? Well, apparently there was a scene as well where I guess it was a. De Niro and Al Pacino are standing beside each other. Do you know which one of them is actually taller in real life? It's got to be De Niro because Al Pacino is famously very short. Okay, so I think, but I, I guess Pacino had to wear these platform shoes because his character oh, is yeah. supposed to be taller yeah. than Frank. So they, the way they shot it, he looked taller, but, but but someone got a picture of them on set and he's in these ridiculous <laughs> platform boots to try to look taller than him. So, <laughs> and and uh, I, I, I don't know that I'm going to be compelled to go back, but this was a solid review, and I do like Martin Scorsese films, so I think I need to to check this out. Was the is it the same editor that he always uses? Do you know? I don't know, honestly. When the credits started, I just took my eyes off the screen. I was like, no, I'm done. I'm out of here. Yeah, and they, and it's all back end credits. There's no credits at the front. So okay, four and a half couch cushions out yeah. of five for The Irishman, now available on Netflix. It debuted on Wednesday, just ahead of U.S. Thanksgiving. Up next, we're going to tell you. What is coming to home video? And You're going to like it. Am I going to like You're it? You're going to like it. Oh, I can't wait to find out what's coming. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Brett McGarry, Jeff Braun, we are The Couch Potatoes. Just got to quickly mention, I double-checked, it was actually De Niro who was wearing the platform shoes because oh. his character is 6'4", oh, but he's 5'10". Okay. So he just had they had to make him look taller, but he didn't look all that much taller than Al Pacino. It's weird because Pacino's like 5'4", or something weird like that. Uh, well, he's, just... he's short like, uh, maybe not as short as, well, maybe... I'll, Tom Cruise style. I hate when they, you Google how tall is Al Pacino and it says <laughs> 1.7 meters. I want it in feet. Who talks? They know we're in Canada. They think it's all uh, metric. Yeah. Do you ever, do, have you ever met anybody who says, how tall are you? I'm 1.68 meters. Just the doctor. And I weigh 10 stone. <laughs> anyway. Well, how many meters is it? I got a meter. It's a, it was 1.7. He's 5'7". Oh, 5'7". <clears> he's 5'7". So. Hey, uh, I'm taller than Al Pacino. I don't that <laughs> I'm usually not taller than people. I'm five nine and a half. <laughs> well, you got something on the devil. He was the devil. Remember That's the right. devil's advocate? Yeah. All right. Let's have a look at what's coming to home video. I head on the house stock. Yeah. Lord of Winterfell and Warden of the North sentence you to die. I saw what I saw. I saw him White Walkers. You understand why I did it? He was a deserter. The man who passes the sentence should swing the sword. Game of Thrones coming to home video. And, of course, that scene is from episode 
One, because what's coming on Tuesday is the complete collection on Blu-ray. It can be yours, Brett, for only $329, yeah. according to Amazon. Well, and here's the thing. I mean, I, I've already got HBO, so I can go back and watch All Game of, of Thrones anytime. But it would be nice to get the extras, and it would be nice to get that quality that comes with a Blu-ray. And just as the little box nice it comes in. Collection, yeah. I, feel, I, I have the complete series of Breaking Bad in this awesome right, case. The, it, it was, it was, the collectible case was like the, the plastic barrels that they used. Right. But I never... You never watch them? No, and I feel bad. My mom got it for me for a Christmas gift. It was a thoughtful gift, and I still haven't cracked it open. I did lend it to my sister, though. She went through it, so One it's at least... Go- yeah. Hey, I bought the Lost box set when that came out. I've gone through it twice. That's... So I sort of feel like it's almost paid for itself. <laughs> and I keep wanting to do a rewatch. I sort of want to try to convince my girlfriend to watch it. Oh, God. That's going to be a... in that. Godspeed, sir. That's not going to happen, so I should just watch it again. But I don't have time! Game of Thrones is out on Blu-ray DVD. Also out is Ready or Not. I think we mentioned that recently out in Digital HD. That's the yeah. hide-and-seek right. uh, movie Horror where movie. if you want to get into the family, you got to play hide-and-seek and don't die. And Digital HD, what's out? Abominable, which is not to be... Conf- it's an animated movie. Not to be confused with Missing Link or Smallfoot, but it's another one of those uh, Yeti-type movies. That's right. Brad Pitt and Tommy Lee Jones star in the space movie Ad Astra. I saw that is pretty good. And then, of course, Sly Stallone's Rambo Last Blood, which apparently is not good. I don't care. I still want to see it. But I did wait for the small screen to see that. I'll I'll catch it as a rental. So that's not bad selection for home video. And up next, Jeff Braun's going to give, shall I expect a glowing review? Yeah. He's not the best color man in the league for nothing, folks. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. We already talked about the Irishman. I gave it four and a half couch cushions out of five. And now we're going to do talk about another movie that I saw this week. I'll almost always go see a Tom Hanks movie, and I'm very glad I checked out A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Mr. Rogers, I'm here to interview you. It is so nice to meet you. This piece will be for an issue about heroes. Do you consider yourself a hero? We are trying to give the world positive ways of dealing with their feelings. Yeah? Like what? There are many things you can do. You can play all the lowest keys on a piano at the same time. Hank should be a lock for an Oscar nomination for his portrayal of Mr. Rogers as Best Supporting Actor. Matthew Reese from The Americans is the lead in this movie. He plays Lloyd Vogel, a rather cynical journalist assigned to do a profile story on Mr. Rogers. More of a blurb, really. Only supposed to be 400 words, but he ends up with something bigger. Lloyd is a new father with a lovely, caring, supportive wife. He's also been estranged from his own father for years and is confronted with him at the beginning of the movie at a family wedding. The dad is played by Chris Cooper, and all we know to begin with is that Lloyd is very angry with him. Luckily, he meets Mr. Rogers, and it takes about two minutes before Mr. Rogers realizes that Lloyd's soul has some deep cuts, and of course, Mr. Rogers' whole deal is helping people learn to cope with their feelings. They meet several times as Lloyd continues the magazine profile, and Mr. Rogers gets to know his new friend. He sort of becomes a father figure to the man who can't be around his real father, and it's pretty powerful stuff. Hanks, of course, is excellent in this movie. At the very beginning, when he shows up, I thought 
thought, oh, it's Tom Hanks pretending to be Mr. Rogers. But it wasn't too long before I just saw Mr. Rogers. That's the goal, so mission accomplished, Mr. Hanks. Honestly, who else could even do this? Casting Hanks sort of puts you at halfway there, I think, because everyone already thinks he's a nice guy. Add to that, that he's, uh, you know, the fact he's one of the top 10 actors of all time, and it just clicked into place. Mr. Rogers, of course, was a deeply caring person. He was genuinely interested in the people he met, so much so that it's almost hard to believe. Lloyd is not particularly interested in getting deep into the weeds with Mr. Rogers when it comes to his own personal affairs. You know that, that you, you know that thing, I hope it's just, not just me, where you get annoyed at someone for being too nice to you? That's sort of how this guy feels about Mr. Rogers. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I can, I can see some of that. I've worked with people who were just overwhelmingly yeah, nice. just like, stop it. It's nice, but just stop it. Uh, Mr. Rogers, though, he just keeps on being Mr. Rogers, even if you're being difficult with him. Frankly, we should all be so lucky to have a Mr. Rogers in our life, and we were, at least on TV. He took an interesting approach to celebrity in that he didn't really think of himself as one. He certainly didn't trade on it. He lived a simple life in Pittsburgh. The only lavish thing he appeared to have going on was that he kept a small apartment in New York City because they went there a lot for business, for the show. And in his house, he and his wife had matching grand pianos sitting beside each other so they could play together. That's actually a pretty good flex with uh, about money. Matching grand pianos. Nice. But it's but it didn't live in a giant mansion or anything like that, and he was certainly had money. The movie is framed as like, sort of like an episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. A lot of the transitions between scenes are shown as little clunky model interludes that, like he had at the beginning of his show. It's a, it's a nice touch that helps elevate the movie. It's not a flashy movie, but it is very uh, It's a high-quality filmmaking. The emotional part of the equation uh, is what really makes this movie sing. It's the journey that Lloyd takes and the unerring earnestness, compassion, and empathy shown to him by Mr. Rogers along the way. My girlfriend and I pretty much cried for half the movie. It really is a wonderful film. Four and a half couch cushions out of five for a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Wow. Yeah. And then I read afterwards that they had changed a bunch of stuff about the reporter. Enough apparently that they actually changed his name from what the real reporter's name was. Okay. Um, I would also suggest reading that guy's Esquire article that he ended up writing. But first see the movie, then read that article. Uh, the director says while they did change stuff in, his, in that guy's life, they were very careful not to change any of the Mr. Rogers' life's details. So, oh, okay. so yeah, that's really good stuff. And it makes the Oscar race is frankly starting to get pretty interesting now. You got these two movies we talked about today with The Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood and The Irishman. That movie Parasite I saw, I wouldn't be surprised if that got in there. Maybe even Ford versus Ferrari. Maybe The Joker. The Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I hope and pray, makes it in there. And the best supporting actor category, just off the top of my head right now, would have Tom Hanks, Al Pacino, and Brad Pitt in it. So that actually, it might be good for Oscar ratings, because yeah. it seems like a lot of movie stars are doing big movies this year. You now, if Joker were to get in, so that would be Best Actor, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Do you think it would get maybe a screenplay nomination? I could see that. I could even see it getting a Best Picture nomination. Best Picture for Joker. Yeah. Wow. I don't. I wouldn't vote for it, and I don't think it'll win, but I could see it getting the nomination. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. That would certainly be a populist choice, because it is one of the biggest movies of the year, one of the biggest comic book movies that's ever yeah. been made. But so. if they... Well, last year there was Black Panther, right? So they're not... You know, totally against doing this thing, and actually, well, Heath Ledger won for playing the Joker too. So, yeah. so I don't know if it, the Joker seems people think it has more artistic merit than say like Avengers Endgame, but that was a behemoth. But who knows? Is the the Rise of Skywalker might end up being the best Star Wars movie of all time too? That could do something, especially if it's the end of a trilogy or the. Nineology or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> a nineology. <laughs> a niner. Yeah. The, like star, did, the Star Wars Niner. That's right. Well, they did it with uh, 
the Return of the King won all the Oscars that year. That was the end of a That's little true. era there. So who knows? There's a lot of potential. It's, I'm actually looking forward to the Oscars this year. Okay. Hey, that's a solid pitch, Jeff. I, I'm normally not excited, but now I am very excited. <laughs> and I got to start watching all these movies that you've been watching. Of course, as always, you're always way ahead of me when it comes to Oscar films. They'll still make the announcements, and I'll still have like two weeks to watch five movies or something stupid like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, It's going to be a tough slog. Hey, debuting on History on Wednesday. Day, December 4th with a two-hour premiere season six of what has been one of my favorite TV shows of the past decade Vikings I know your reputation know how many battles you have won but still you have no idea what you are now facing So Vikings is a show that started back in 2013, and it was relatively small-scale in a small Viking village ruled by an earl who was overtaken by a man of the people, Ragnar Lothbrok. The show then grew larger in scope each year as Ragnar looked further and further away for places to invade. should point out as well, this show is purportedly based on real people. Okay. Ragnar, I believe it was known as like the scourge of... England or the scourge of France or something. There's also pe- there's also some people who say that Ragnar maybe wasn't a real guy, but but was sort of uh, tales of Ragnar were based on real people. Oh, anyway, I'm not a historian. This is why I watch <laughs> history so I can learn about history yeah. in uh, sort of soap opera esque style TV. Now, all the while. There is a ton of infighting, and that's why I say soap opera-esque, because all these Vikings just want to kill each other (laughs) because they're all trying to overthrow each other to seek power. So now, in season six, Ragnar is gone. The show now follows the adventures of his sons, with Bjorn Ironside sitting on the throne as the king, but as always, there's trouble in the hen house. I've seen enough of war. I've seen enough of... It is time to elect a king who will defend us. A king for all Norway. And what better man than you, your hindsight? I hope that things will proceed smoothly. Do you know any reason why it should not? Oh, that didn't sound good. By the way, Ragnar Lothbrok, Scourge of England and Normandy. So it looks like he actually is probably a real guy. The trailer for season six promises the biggest battle yet, with scores of boats arriving on a shore with an army of hundreds, if not thousands, all in the name of the sons of Ragnar, who continue to fight each other, which means many people will die in their struggle for power. Seems the gods brought us together again, my brother. You must enjoy seeing us fight. Now, season five was not my favorite. I have long enjoyed this show, but season five, the show just started to feel long in the tooth. Used to be the seasons were shorter, 10 episodes, but now they're 20 episodes, and many of the stories just felt like they were just kind of dragging along. But it is still compelling TV, largely due to Ivar the Boneless, who is played by Alex Hogue Anderson. I actually am not entirely sure how to pronounce that. It's an O with like a slash through it. Yeah, He's know. from Copenhagen, <laughs> so I don't know if it's Hugh, I don't know if it's Hogue, I don't know if it's Hogue. Ivar the Boneless? Ivar the Boneless, That's yeah. Good name. 
Yeah, he, his legs are uh, essentially dead, so he can't. He, I think I think he may actually be. I never looked up what his condition is, but he has no use of his legs. Okay. So he has to either drag himself around or he fit these uh, sort of crutches that he can walk on, and he's got this really cool chariot. But yeah, he is a tyrant, and the actor from Copenhagen has electrifying charisma and is the villain that you love to hate or maybe hate to love or maybe love to love him. I don't know. The battles on this show, too, are among the best on TV. I just continue to be impressed by how they can still pull off these big fights that aren't boring or repetitive. And I just watched the trailer today for the first time for season six. And my God, I just can't believe the scope of the fight that they are promising in this sixth season. And that's probably just one fight early on. Usually there are many big battles in a season of Vikings. But I fear the show is getting repetitive because typically the Vikings go conquer some foreign land together and then they turn on each other repeat and since Ragnar left it definitely lost something it just the show's lost a piece of its soul and now they're working on a spin-off for Netflix called Vikings Valhalla which will take place 100 years after the events of this series I'm not sure that I want more Vikings beyond this like I'm kind of hoping that season six will be it and then they'll just cancel it but I will continue to watch starting this Wednesday December 4th on history it does look like it's going to be a big fun season up next one of Jeff's favorite movies a movie that whenever it comes on TV he has to watch it even though he's seen it a thousand times is getting a remake no you're listening to the couch potatoes Brett McGarry Jeff Braun we are the couch potatoes and we've been teeing it up it's one of Jeff's favorite movies, and it's getting a reboot, a remake. What is it, Jeff? The Fugitive! Financially, you're not going to be hurting after this then, are you? I mean, she was worth quite a bit of money. Are you suggesting that I killed my wife? Are you saying that I crushed her skull and that I shot her? How dare you? When I came home, there was a man in my house. I fought with this man. Uh He had a mechanical arm. You find this man. You find this man. You find this man. (laughs) Jeff is sitting in the studio just pointing along with him. You find this man. That's just the way he says that. I love that. How many times have you seen this? I don't know. I cannot count. I I was... uh, uh, Christmas, when I flew to my parents' house, I watched it on the plane on the t- i was so excited that it was on the because usually there's like 30 movies to choose from and one of them was a fugitive and i was like yes i am set for this flight and the plane landed actually with still like 10 minutes left in the movie and i spent the whole week waiting oh i can't wait till i can fly back home and watch the last 10 minutes really <laughs> yeah and i got on the plane and i fast forwarded to the end and i watched the so you paid a second time to no watch no it. it's free oh i didn't pay yeah, yeah. No, okay no, it's free i watch yeah whenever it's on tv it's free i don't own it I got like 200 DVDs and Blu-rays. I don't know why I don't own The Fugitive, but it's just it's just so such a pleasure when it when I just come across it on TV. Well, so they, I guess they've been talking about doing a remake for <sighs> a long time now. Call it something else. This week, the the headline is The Fugitive, Albert Hughes to helm Warner Brothers remake. So Albert Hughes is he's done movies like Alpha, The Book of Eli, Dead Presidents. He's going to direct this remake of the 1993 action film, which itself was based on the 1963 television series. And Tommy Lee Jones won an Oscar for it, and it was nominated for Best Picture. So the classic film, directed by Andrew Davis, starred Harrison Ford, of course, as Dr. Richard Kimball, and Tommy Lee Jones as the U.S. Marshal, and Dr. Kimball unjustly accused of murdering his wife. So it... uh, It's a chase movie. 
Tommy Lee Jones won an Oscar? Yeah, and he spends a movie chasing Harrison Ford. That's a good movie right there. But Harrison Ford, not only is he trying to escape the clutches of the F or the FBI or whatever, it's, it's uh, no, it's sheriffs, U.S. Marshals, right? Yeah. So he, that's what he's trying to get away from. But he's also trying to solve the mystery of who killed his wife and framed him for it and that sort of thing. So it's there's all sorts of stuff going on, and it's just it's a, it's a perfect movie. Now, Queeby, or Queeby, I guess that's a production company. Never heard of that. Sure. Queeby is also developing a separate series adaptation of The Fugitive with Kiefer Sutherland set to star. Sutherland's going to play uh, Detective Clay Bryce while Boyd Holbrook is going to, I guess, be The Fugitive. And huh. that, uh, I've never, I have not heard of this at all, but in The Fugitive series reboot, when a bomb rips through the Los Angeles subway train he's riding on, blue collar Mike Farrow just wants to make sure his wife Allison and 10 year old daughter Pearl are safe, but the faulty evidence on the ground. And tweet now, confirm later journalism, paint a nightmarish picture. It looks to all the world that Mike was responsible for the heinous act. Wrongfully and very publicly accused, Mike must prove his innocence by uncovering the real perpetrator before the legendary cop heading the investigation can apprehend him. That sounds pretty cool, but I, I, I'm just... Well, that's what the what... old TV series was. That's fine. I don't like... I, I like that he's a doctor in the movie. Because it just makes his fugitiveness, it's just more of a juxtaposition, right? Queeby, if you go to the website, is uh, quick bites of captivating entertainment created for mobile by the best talent designed to fit perfectly into any moment of your day. So it's going to be a a TV series that they just text to you on your iPhone (laughs) in five-minute chunks three times a day or something Yeah, it'll be like like little just 90-second blurbs of Kiefer Sutherland saying, where's the device? Damn it! Take some time as soon as you can to rewatch the regular Fugitive movie with Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones. Hey, just want to quickly mention this. I found this funny. Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker tracking for $200 million opening. And by all accounts, that's a disappointment (laughs) because it would be below... The Last Jedi and The Force Awakens. Uh, So Deadline is saying that the threequel is expected to gross between 175 million and 205 million in its opening weekend. And The Force Awakens, of course, had 247 million dollars. And then The Last Jedi had 220 million. So they're saying that Jumanji, the next level, which opens uh, around the same time, is going to be some strong competition. That's interesting. I could see that. $200 $200 million, and that's a disappointment. <laughs> it, well, I guess people are kind of like, st- well, Star Wars people were so excited about it when The Force Awakens came, and now there there does seem to be less excitement. Yeah, well, there's also been a new Star Wars movie every year for the last four years or five years or whatever it is, so yeah. how could people not help by not being as amped by it as they were? Also, a, a lot of people, for whatever reason, still really didn't like that last Jedi movie, so... I saw it three times but in the yeah. theater, and I have not been compelled to watch it again, so I think that says a little something about that. But that's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you're listening to this on the radio. And remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.